Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. You know, um, this morning, what I want to talk about, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How many of you guys saw the Jesus Revolution? Did I see the Jesus Revolution? You know, one thing that really uh, I really liked, there's a little thing that uh, Chuck did uh, at the beginning of his Bible studies. He would hold up the Bible, and he'd say, this is the Word of God, and this is life. And, you know, and I've been reading um, some different articles in Christianity Today, and, and, there it's, and I was reading this morning, actually, this article about devotions. And they say that modern Christians today have gotten further and further away from the Word of God. In their private life, and their personal life, it's kind of like a Bible roulette. You know, they'll kind of open up a chapter or maybe just kind of sparsely read the word. And so they read things out of context. It's more for emotional, you know, lifting up rather than uh, being formed into the image of Christ and understanding the heart and mind of God. And, and so I want to encourage you guys, because when Chuck said that in that m- movie, I just remember as a kid, I wasn't even saved. My aunt was saved and she would take me to Calvary. And I remember walking up, and I had never seen so many people carrying Bibles, right? Everybody walked in with the Bible. Everybody walked in with the Bible. Everybody opened their Bibles. And I would encourage you, whether you have a Bible at home, just bring it. Get, it, get used to it again. Open it up. Feast on God's Word. Because I believe this. When you open up God's Word, you understand His heart and His mind. And I think sometimes we're just looking for the mind and not the heart. But it's with the heart of God that's going to change us and transform us. But as we look at 1 Corinthians, I just really want to look at one verse. And it's found for us in verse 24. Verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes this. Speaking of the cross of Jesus Christ, it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, really think about that. Christ is the power. The Messiah, Paul is saying, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, I really want you to think about just the one word right now, power. How would you define power? Because I think it's really important because I believe when Christ comes, he puts the culture, the Roman culture at that time, on its head, right? Because their idea of power was what? Subjecting every nation under their thumb. Conquering, taxing, and oppressing. That's power, right? And it has continued throughout the millennia. That's how we view power. Whoever's on top, whoever's in charge, whoever's being served, they're the ones in power. But Jesus Christ comes along, and again, he's talking to a church that is in the midst of a a terrible... The Corinthian church to me is like the most immature church in the New Testament. They're suing each other, right? They're dividing over their favorite pastor. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? I mean, are we going through the same type of things today? We'll follow a man. I'm like, I'm not here to follow a man. I'm here to follow Christ. And I hope that the men in the pulpit are encouraging me to follow Christ. Not them, but Jesus, to be like him. So they're dividing up their, so they have divisions. They have terrible sexual morality. Uh, One of the young guys in the church is with his stepmother, right? And not that the the church, the sin's always going to be in the church. The problem with this sin is that they're celebrating it. They're like, we're so sophisticated. We're so, like, ahead of everybody. Paul goes, not even the Gentiles practice such things. Like, they've fallen so far. So they're dividing. 
they're suing. They're, they are, they're allowing sin into the church, right? And so Paul's answer, this is what I want you to see. Paul's answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul is like, okay, let's get our compasses acclimated, right? Let's get our compass acclimated to the North Star again. Let's get going in the right direction together again. Let's begin to value the right things again. Because if we're not valuing Christ above all, then our values are going to be screwed, right? They're going to be so distorted. They're going to be malformed. They're not going to form the image of Christ. They're going to form other things. And So again, our ideas of forgiveness, our ideas of grace, our ideas of love, our ideas of mercy, if they're not grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then they're not going to reflect Jesus Christ. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. So the Apostle Paul, when he, he tells them this, he's like, brings them back to the wisdom of the cross because they think they're smarter. They think they're wiser. They think they know more than the apostle. They think, you know, the elementary things of the cross are just, those are just for the beginning. Now we've grown beyond that. You never grow beyond the cross. Because that's where we find our life and our mercy and our forgiveness is in the cross. And I always tell people, I have a cross behind me at my church. I'm always pointing at the cross. This is where our journey begins. Is at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our journey begins. And our life flows out of that. You begin with your values at the cross. You begin with your identity at the cross. You begin with your forgiveness at the cross. But if you don't start at the cross, then where are you starting? Where are you rooted? Where are you grounded? So the Apostle Paul, again, wants to acclimate their compasses of their life back to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So as he focuses them once again, focuses them on the cross of Christ, he says, in the cross, in the cross of Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now think about that. What do you think he's talking about? It's the power of God? Because if I look at the cross, like a Muslim does, or a Gentile, what do they see? They see a prophet being martyred. That's what they see. They see defeat. They don't see power. They see weakness. They don't see victory. They see defeat. But yet, Paul says, to us who are saved, what do we find in the cross? And I think that's the question you have to ask yourself. What do you find when you look at the cross of Christ? Do you find the power of God there? Paul says what? It's by the power of the cross that we're saved. And so Paul's going, it's the power of God. But here's the trick. This is, again, we're going to look at it through eyes of faith. We're not looking at it just with what happened, but what was really happening, right? Now, we just went through Good Friday, right, a couple weeks ago. And I want us to see a few things. So, and I'm sure Chris may have said this, the year before he may have said this, but in the cross, we find a number of things happening, don't we? We find Christ's victory. We find Christ's example, right? We find Christ being our substitute in the cross. But the one I want to point out is Christ's victory. Christus victor. That's what the theologians called it. Christ, the victory of Christ. Why is it the victory? And this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, on the cross, while he was stripped, right? Jesus hung naked on the cross. We all know that, right? He was torn apart. The crown of thorns representing the curse of the garden. He's taken the curse on himself. And in the cross... As the Romans nailed him to the cross, as the Jewish leaders spit upon him, mocked him, I want you to see something. Paul says this, as he was naked, again, looks like defeat, what's really happening? 
He's defeating the principalities and powers. Paul says he stripped them on the cross. He took away all their authority. He took away all their power. What? Through his weakness, he defeats them. Everything that was against us, what happens to it? Paul says he nailed it to the cross. So I want you to see something. When Paul talks about the power, the power of the cross, the power of God is displayed on the cross. I want you to see what God's power looks like. To us, it looks like weakness, right? To us, in our natural mindsets and in our natural value systems, it looks like weakness, but yet it's what? Our power. And I think sometimes because of our ego, because of our pride, because of our need to be right, we never experience the power of God because we're never willing to deny ourselves. See, because that's where it's met. What did Jesus say? If you want to be my disciple, assert yourself. If you want to be my disciple, be on top, right? If you want to be my disciples, you smash the opponents. You crush them to the ground, right? You smother them in the dirt. No, he said what? If you want to be my disciples, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, I don't know if you guys ever have to experience this in your lives. I think for me, I experienced it in my marriage. More than any other relationship that I have, I have to deny myself with my beautiful bride of 25 years of just bliss, right? Perfect marriage, never had a fight, perfect children, right? Just always so, just, we're like a Disney movie, right? We, we are happily ever after. Heck no. Heck no. There's been so many times, and I don't know, maybe you could be on one side or the other. I think one, cup, one spouse or one person. You know, and early in our marriage, I would say the first 12 years, I had to say sorry first every single time. Every single time, even when I wasn't wrong. And she knew it, and I knew it, right? And I remember one time, I was like, no, that was totally her. That was 98%, that was her, Lord. No, I'm not saying sorry. You, Lord, and I was praying like, Lord, please convict her. Lord, in Jesus' name, I want you to convict her. I don't want you to open her eyes to the truth so that she might be free, Lord. I want her the truth that she might be free. And I remember, I remember praying, and as I got done venting, the Spirit just speaks to my heart. Are you ready to go say sorry? I'm like, no, no, I am not. I am not doing it this time. Lord, you better, you better tell her, no, I'm done with this, man. It's been a decade. Come on. And the Lord's like, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And I was like, okay, Lord, then give me the strength to deny myself. In my weakness, Paul says, I am strong. Do you see the correlation between the power of God and our weakness? Do you see the correlation between what, what we perceive as weakness in the crucifixion of Jesus is actually the key to our freedom from ourselves? I want you to see this. I think it's so important because just like the Corinthian church, there's so many voices pulling at us. Whatever news group you like, they're pulling you left or right. There's no one in the center. Have you noticed that? There's no news agency that's in the center, that's just going to give you the facts. They want, to, they want to give you their view of the facts. But it's never the facts. I, want, I hope you don't believe that you're getting facts. You're not. You're getting their skewed version, whether it be blue or red, left or right. You know, and the thing they always do, and this is how they divide us. 
whoever my, whoever my side is, we're the white hat. And whoever the other side is, they're the black hats, right? Us against them. It's like, you know what? That is just the enemy. And it's happening in churches. That's what bothers me. It's going to happen in the world, but it happens in a church. Then we're, again, we're not starting at the cross. So again, this idea of being able to deny ourselves, that's where we're going to find power. Because we're following Jesus, and we're going to follow his way. And do you remember what Jesus said in John, Mark, Mark 10, 45? He says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So right away, I want us to see something. If we're going to follow the way of Christ, his, he says this, If you want to be great in my kingdom, you must be the servant of those you choose and that are above you. Because you're climbing the ladder and that's the way you get there. No, he says, you're going to serve everyone. Everybody's worthy of your service. Everybody's better than you. And that's how we should see it. Because that's our freedom. Because in our weakness, that's when we're strong. Because in his weakness, that's when he's victorious. That's when he's victorious. And I, I want us to see this. And I, I think sometimes, again, as, as Paul's trying to get this carnal church, the Corinthian church, to kind of get back on the path of following Jesus, the, the path begins at the cross again. That's why he begins there. And he wants them to pick up their cross and, and start to, once again to follow after Christ. But it starts with denying. Because here's, I want you to understand something. It's going to be found in weakness and it's going to be expressed with humility. It's going to be expressed with humility. I mean, honestly, to this day now, I don't care if I have to say sorry first. I want peace with me and my wife. I don't care. I don't care if she's right or I'm right. I want to have a relationship with her. I've had to humble myself with my children. And I have two kids. My daughter's 20 and my son is 17. And I've had times where I've had to go, even though they were the ones being like their dad when I was their age, right? I go to them and just say, let me have it. And I'll just sit there. And I, I want relationship. Because you know where I get that example from? Jesus. Do you see that? Jesus, you walk away, he follows. You deny him, he won't deny you. He goes after us. And so I've learned the heart, and it's not easy. I never want you guys to think it's just so easy. No, it's, it's painful, and it's, it's difficult. But it's the right way. It's the right way. And, and again, when we begin to serve and I, I don't know if you guys know this. I, people are usually shocked when I tell them this. But I'm Mexican. I don't know if you got that from my name or my skin color maybe. Might have been hinted to that. But yes, I am Mexican. So when I grew up in my mom's home, in my family's home, all I had to do was sit and I was served. I was loving life until I got married, right? <laughs> and my wife's looking at me like, I'm looking at her. I remember one time I was looking at her like, I'm at the table. I'm like, well, where's dinner? She's like, well, I know, I can see it. It's right there. She's like, you have two hands and two feet. I'm like, but so do you. Like, come on. And she's like, you didn't marry your mom. And I'm like, okay, you got a point, you know. I remember it was, I was in shock. I was just like, you mean life's not always like this? But then, again, as I grow in my marriage and my love for my wife, no, I want to serve her. I don't want to be served. I want to serve her. And then in, she reciprocates, and now she serves me. So now when I'm at my, my, this is when it usually happens, when I'm with my cousins, especially on Easter, this is how it used to be. Kids ate first, mom served, seven aunts. Seven aunts, three uncles. We sat down first, the youngest to the oldest, we went through like three shifts of kids. Then the men came in, and the moms served their husbands. 
Then they were done with their shift. Then the, my aunts and my mom sat down and my grandmother served them. And then she would go and sit in the kitchen and eat by herself. And as, as you know, mom, grandma, mom, grandma, come out here and eat with us. She says, no, Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. It is my blessing to serve you. You're in my house. I'm here to serve you. We've lost those values, haven't we? But see, in a marriage, you guys should be competing of who's going to serve who. You should be trying to outdo each other in service. I really believe it. It's a happy marriage. And again, you might have roles. You might have different things. Those are fine. But somewhere along the line, we have to serve each other, don't we? Why? Because that's what Jesus says we are to do. Serve one another. And I want you to think about this. What does humility look like then? I'll tell you what it looks like. John 13. Remember that story? John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, I want you to notice something, out of the world. So he knows he's departing, right? He's departing out of the world back to the Father. Notice that. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's John's memory when he's 90 years old. This is how John recollects what happened 60 years before on that last supper. And he says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, notice what it says next, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So think of, what do you think all things means? I really want you to put your brain around that. He knows everything is in my hands. I can call, what, four legions of angels if I want, Pilate, and they'll come and just decimate this whole place. All things are in his hands. So what does he do with this knowledge? of where he's going, what does he do with this knowledge that he possesses everything? What does he do with all of this? It says this, that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper and he told his disciples, bow down and worship me. He could have, right? And they should have. But what does he do? He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Think about that. Jesus, now keep in mind, you guys, within, within at this point, I would say within nine hours, he's getting nailed to the cross. His hands, those same hands that got down to wash the disciples' feet are going to be nailed to a cross within nine hours. Those same hands. And he tells them later on in chapter 13, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand the example that I set for you? So I want you to think about this. You have nine hours to live, and you know it. And you have kids, or you have nephews and nieces. You have a spouse. What's the last message you want to give them? Think about that for a second. This is with your last breath. You have one shot. You know it. Nine hours, you're done. What's the last thing you want to show them? For Jesus, he's like, okay, you guys, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you this time how much service means to me. And not just to me, but the values of my kingdom. Of my kingdom. Of my kingdom. This is how I want you guys to treat one another. And he rises up. And he takes, and I want you to understand something. In the economy of the Roman Empire, you cannot force a slave to wash anyone's feet. That's how low it was. You couldn't even demand a slave to do that. And here's the Son of God, 
the second person of the Holy Trinity, who became poor that we might become rich, that's what he does with his last act before his disciples. He washes their feet. And I always, and I, and I want you to understand something. It's like, you know, I think about, like, about Christ, you know, and all I want is you, Lord. All, all I want is you. You're my reward. You're my reward. But I, I, want, to, I want to live out my faith in a real way. I just want to, I want to be able to express it because I'm not really good at this. I mean, one guy said it this way. I'm a follower of Jesus. I just have a hard time keeping up, right? I feel that way. Like, Lord, just wait up for me. I'm coming, Lord, I'm coming. I got kind of lazy back there, but I'm coming. But I want you to see how important this idea is that the power of God is not seen in, in hoarding over people. The power of God is seen in service. The character of God's power is not in this absolute dictatorship. It's actually in the form of humility. And only, the only person that's going to be humble is the one who knows where he came from. The only person that's going to be rich in Christ is the one that understands I already have all things that God wants to give me. And out of that abundance, out of, that, out of those riches, what I'm going to do with those riches is I'm going to make others rich. I'm going to make others rich. I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to clothe the naked. I'm going to visit those in prison because Jesus said, those people are great in my kingdom. And see, I think sometimes we, have, we think we have the right answers, but we're asking the wrong questions. We think it's safe just to have truth. I think that's probably the most unsafe position to have. I think what is really safe is when I have truth and I live it. Right? Where I'm not always looking, I think sometimes we're always looking at whether people, they're in error, they're in error, and they're in error. I'm like, well, let the Holy Spirit deal with them. Lord, help me to obey. Lord, make me useful in this world. Make me useful. And I, and I think sometimes we just want to be right. I don't care about being right. I care about living right. I care about heal, having people be healed by the power of God's grace. And so when Paul says the power of God is revealed in the Messiah, Jesus, and it's revealed in his cross, it's like the world laughs and says, that's foolishness. That is weakness. And Paul says, yeah, to you it is, but not to us who are being saved. Not to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was born again, it was the power of God. I had religion. I was raised in a religious household. I, went, I loved going to church, but I didn't know Jesus but I knew all about him, but I didn't know him. And I knew the power of God when he came into my life. And I want to walk in that power. But here's the thing, for so long, I thought I'd be like a superhero, right? Where I'll just be the mighty strong one and I'll smash God's enemies. And God's all, actually, I want you to serve my enemies. I never saw the passion. I just never felt the need to. Um, but there's, I watched the, the, the uh, trailer, and there's one scene I love the most, and Jesus is on the cross. Um, obviously, he's torn to shreds, and the Pharisee comes up to Jesus, and he mocks him. Do you remember this scene? You saved others. He can't even save himself, and he begins to laugh at him, and as he turns to go away from Christ, the words of Christ come out, Father, forgive them, and it stops the Pharisee dead in his tracks. And that's why Jesus would say, bless those who curse you. Because in that moment, this clown, this thief who was mocking Jesus, I believe this, hears it and he's all, 
man, this guy really is the son of God. Hey, hey, Jesus, and this is his wisdom. Jesus, would you just remember me? Jesus says, you'll be with me. Because I want you to understand something. And Aaron McManus said this years ago, and it stuck with me. He says, when the moment of our crushing, right, what's really in our heart comes out. I say, would say this, the moment you are most hungry, what you're really like comes out, all right? Like if you're hungry, you're hangry, right? Your stomach has got over you and it's demanding to be fed. Jesus is crushed. He's carrying the sins of, <laughs> he's carrying the, the sins of all men, women, and children that have ever existed and who will ever exist. And in that moment, what comes out of him is what? Father, forgive. That's the heart of God. Do you see that? John, take care of my mom. That's the heart of God. Hey, thief, you're rightfully here. Hey, Lord, remember me, you'll be with me in paradise. That's the heart of God. Do you see that? So when we look at the power of God, this is the display of his power. He's nothing like us. But he calls us to be just like him. So we look at this power, and then, and then Paul says this, and we see his wisdom. We see the wisdom of God, right? We see the wisdom of God in the cross and in the person of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. If I was to ask you, who do you think the smartest people in the world ever were? Who, who would be on that list? Who's the smartest people you could think of that have ever existed? And I, who was that? Solomon? Okay, this is good. Who else? Come on, give me some other ones. What was that? Jesus, you know, you're cheating, bro, because everybody knows any question in church, the right answer is always Jesus, all right? Right? It's just like, well, it's Jesus. You're right, but you don't get a gold star. Um, no, but I want you to really think about it. I think most of the time, we don't think of Jesus that way. And if you, if you were in a, a school, you would say Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, right? Biblical people would say Solomon, Maybe even the Apostle Paul. But I would say this. It's very rare that you'll find someone, except this, this young gentleman over here, that would say Jesus is the wisest. Jesus is the smartest. Jesus is the most intelligent. And he's absolutely right. He is. But we don't see him that way. Because when we look at his teaching, it's almost advice. It's advice. It's not a command. It's something we could take. It's like a fortune cookie sometimes, because that's how we read it. What's the verse for today? And I want you to see, Dallas Willard, who taught, uh, was the head of philosophy at USC, he said this, speaking of Jesus, he is just, he's not just nice, he is brilliant. He is the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history, while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything, and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. Let us now hear his teaching on how, on who has a good life and who, and on who is among the truly blessed. We have to allow Jesus to be put right back in his rightful place. He's the most brilliant. He understands our hearts. He understands not just our physical needs, but our spiritual and emotional needs. He understands the brokenhearted. He understands the depressed. He understands everyone. You know why? Because he's been there. There are footprints that are ahead of you, and they're the footprints of Jesus. He gets it. He understands what it is to have a broken heart. He understands what it is to be betrayed. He understands what it is to be misunderstood. 
He understands what it means to be maligned and lied about. He gets it all. He understands it all. And he understands what we need to be successful in life and to have purpose in life and to find fulfillment in life. But I'm going to tell you something. You might say, God, you let me down. And I would say this. Did you really follow? Did you really follow? You know, uh, oh gosh, how many years? Has it? It's been about six, seven years ago, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. He had just turned 12, lost a lot of weight. My wife and I knew it. And he was diagnosed with leukemia. And for the next year, it was hell, just hell. It was terrible. He suffered a lot, a lot of pain. Um, just, it was excruciating for us to watch. And I remember, I, I, my, someone asked me just recently, hey, Mono, how did you handle that? I said, I died a thousand deaths. I, I was dying. It, it, was, it was tearing me up inside. And then they said, how did Amanda handle it? And I go, I, I never asked her. We never talked about it between us. We prayed together, but we never talked about it. So I went to her, I said, hey, babe, when Sebi was going through that year, it was really dark. How did you handle that? She says, oh, I knew the Lord was going to heal him. I, no, I, just, I was just praising the Lord. I'm like, what? I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there dying. Like, where are you, Lord? Why would you allow this to happen? Pastor Armando, why? You know, I don't understand. Why not give it to me, not my son? She says, oh, no, God gave me a promise. And I knew he was with us the whole way, and he was going to see us through. And again, that's a, that's a husband and wife looking at a child we both love equally. I see it one way, and she sees it another. She held on to God, and I was going to question him all the way. So why do you think I struggled so much? I was questioning constantly. Why, why, why? You allowed, you allowed, you allowed. She's going, hey, Lord, thank you that you're here with us. You're going to see him through this, Lord. Praise you. See the two ways you can look at it? Both have faith. I want you to say, I had faith. I never doubted God's love. I never doubted God's presence. But she was thanking God and submitting, and I was wrestling. So, and again, when we think about this wisdom, then God knows. I want you to see this. I believe Jesus is saying, would you build your life on what I tell you? Would you value what I value? Will you love what I love? And will you, will you love like I love? Will you do that? Because I'll tell you, if you're, you will, therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, does them, I liken him to a wise man or woman who built their lives, they built their house on the rock. Did you, he didn't say just know what he says. And I think that's where most of us fail, me included. We know what he says. But if you're going to find comfort and you're going to find peace and you're going to find purpose, it's when you do it. Don't talk about forgiveness. Forgive. Don't, don't talk about love. Love. You know, my dad died, we were talking about it earlier, he died during COVID, and my dad and I had a very rocky relationship. And one thing that hit me was this. I just should have loved him for who he was rather than who I wanted him to be. I kept waiting for him to be who I wanted him to be. Do you know what I mean? You guys ever have that with your parents? <laughs> Love my mom. She's my hero. My dad, we were, at, we were always just not connecting. I took my son out to, to breakfast. He's doing great, by the way, now. He's in love, and he's a 17-year-old that I want to strangle sometimes. But we're out to breakfast, and he goes, hey, Dad, did you and Grandpa ever go out to breakfast? Oh, we went out all the time. What did you guys talk about? We didn't. My dad would give me the sports page, and he would take the front page, and we would sit there and read the paper. 
Breakfast would come. We would talk about what we read. Then we would switch papers, right? I would take the front page. He'd take the sports page. We would talk about it, then we would leave. He's like, come on, Dad. I'm like, no, seriously, son. That's exactly my relationship with my dad. We tried. But what God spoke to me is like, you just should have loved him for who he was. Because you love people all the time for who they are, except your dad. And I was like, oh, Lord, I'm struck out on that one. But here it is. Why? Because God, that's what God's telling us to do. Build your life on what Jesus says. By what? By doing it. By doing it. Not by pretending. Not by trying to be who you think God wants you to be. That's another big mistake. Because you know what? I want you to understand something about this. So we understand the power of God is seen in humility and weakness. But the wisdom of God is seen in practice. And what I mean by wisdom is this. How do you see yourself? We live in a world today, in a culture today, that is so confused. I don't even want to get into it. It is so confused. Our kids are being chewed up and spit out, and we're trying to react to it in anger and in judgment and in pointing out the obvious instead of finding our own identity in Jesus first and foremost and having this relationship to God that we express as we live it out in the world and how we value others, we're always grasping for something. Money, position, you know, the, the grass is greener on the other side. If only I could be that, if only I could be this, if only I had that. And I want you to see something. I think this is the wisdom. Because I, I believe this. If you believe that all, God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, then what are you grasping for? What are you reaching for? Something that's going to satisfy you outside of yourself? It's not there. It's an illusion. But if you can really hold on and believe and trust what God has given you is enough. I want to emphasize the word enough. If we can learn to be content with what we have, I, I believe this. All of a sudden, I find my identity who, who Jesus says I am. He loved me so much, he died for me. That's how much he values you. Now, get a hold of that. He values you that much, he would lay down his life for you to reconcile, Right? Look what Paul says. He tells the Philippian church this. We all know this verse, verses five through eight of chapter two. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we have this mind. It's, it's ours for the taking. He says this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Ah, ugh, man, I just, ah, it's just out of reach. No, he wasn't. He's like, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know who I am. I'm not grasping for anything. I don't, I just, it took, I'm not saying something, it took me a long time to get here. I'm not, I'm not hoping to ever go to a bigger church. I'm not hoping to make a name for myself. I'm not hoping to have more money. I'm not hoping to have a better house. I'm not hoping to have a better car. I'm not even hoping to have better kids. I know who I am in Jesus. It's enough. I know how he values me. It's enough. I know my identity is who he says I am, not who the world says I am, and not who I say I am. I know who I am because he tells me who I am. You are my child. You are my daughter. You are beautiful. You're the apple of my eye. I believe this. 
I think we're really uncomfortable with being loved for who we are because we can't even accept ourselves. We're always trying to be something else. We let religion define us rather than Jesus himself. All the baggage that people have put on us over the years, we try to carry it to make them think I'm a Christian. I don't care if you think I'm a Christian or not. Hopefully you'll see it in my actions. But if you're going to judge me by some man-made metric system, merit system, go ahead and have it, brother. I'm not taking it. Jesus says who I am, not you. And I'm not going to grasp for anything. But here's what he says. He says he emptied himself. Here we go again. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we end where we began, at the cross. And if we're going to live for Christ, then we have to die to ourselves. And if we and know how we die to ourselves, how we live that out, we serve one another. Do you see the connection? If I believe I know who I am in Christ, I know I'm going to be with him forever, whatever I accomplish in life, so be it. That's the course he has me to run. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this life. Thank you for letting me be born in the United States. Thank you very much, Lord. I really appreciate that. Now, Lord, you know what? I know who I am, so I'm going to empty myself of all my rights. I'm going to serve my wife. I'm going to serve my children. I'm going to serve my church. When I took the job at the church, we're at the board meeting, and I said to them, here's here's our economy in this church. This is how this thing's going to work. You're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. And we as leaders are here to serve the congregation. And we as a congregation are here to serve Fallbrook. And if God would allow, we'll serve people in the world too. But this is where we're immediately going to be. You're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. So we're changing the whole way this thing works. And I, I remind him of that all the time. But you know where that starts? It starts in my home. Where I, I'll clean my son's bathroom. You have a teenage boys ever? Yeah, yeah. Were you, were you a teenage boy? I was. We're, we're pigs, right? What's dirty about it? The toilet's black. That's what's dirty about it. Oh, it is? It's like, oh, I guess so. It's like, I'll clean it. And I'm not going to make him feel guilty about it either. That's the catch. I'm going to clean it and not say anything. You know what he says to me now? Hey, Dad, um, thanks for uh, cleaning my bathroom. Can I take you out to breakfast? Can I take you out to breakfast? I'm like, sure, man. Sounds good. I'm paying, Dad. I'm paying. All right, cool. Serve. And I'm going to tell you guys something. This is where the rubber really hit the road for me. It's about, I don't know, 10 years ago, my wife and I were having problems, big problems. And no matter what I tried, she, her heart was far from me. I could see it. She's drifting away from me, and I can't stop her. So I was having my devotions in the morning, and I was praying. And I started crying, and I said, Lord, she says, I'm losing her, man. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. I, I, I can stand before you, Lord, and say I've tried everything I know, but she's, I'm losing her, Lord. And God gave me a simple prayer. I've been praying it ever since. Lord, you know what she needs. I don't. Would you love my wife through me? Would you make me your instrument, Lord, and love my wife through me? That was my prayer. So one day she's, I'm watching her make dinner, and the Holy Spirit just nudges me and says, hey, go up and give her a kiss on the cheek and then t- thank her for making dinner. 
that's stupid. Just do it. Who's stupid here? You know, I am, Lord. Okay, then, then just listen to me. So I get up, I just give her a soft kiss on the cheek, and, um, and I just whispered, hey, thanks for making dinner. I really appreciate that. And I sat down. And she, I'll never forget, she throws down this spatula. Why did you just do that? Why? And I went, uh, I'm not going to lie. Jesus told me to. She's like, well, you know what? You're making it really hard for me not to like you. I said, that's a good thing. She goes, I guess. She says, she says, you're making me fall in love with you again. I'm like, good job, Lord. Keep going. Just keep going, Lord. I will follow. And this acts of self-denial. My pride, my insecurity, I, I, I'm terrified of being rejected. Aren't you? Aren't you terrified of being rejected as you love somebody? And they have the potential to be, no. And Jesus says, follow me. I've said that, I say that prayer every day now. Lord, love my wife through me. Love my daughter through me because she's just like me. And we butt heads. And Lord, love my son through me. Then I expanded it. Love the church through me, Lord. Love my neighbors through me, Lord, who drives me nuts because he blows all his leaves in my yard. I don't know why he thinks that's okay, Lord. But anyways, I'll clean him up with a smile. Right? But Lord, love through me because, again, Jesus emptied himself. How? By taking on the form of a servant. How did he accomplish that? By denying himself and taking up his cross. What's our pattern? Lord, I'm going to empty myself of all my pride, my ego. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to do my best to serve others. Help me to see it and help me to do it. And Lord, I know the only way that's going to happen is if I pick up my cross daily, deny myself, and follow you. That's when you'll know the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because I'll tell you right now, there is no counsel that was going to save my marriage. Only Jesus could do that. And the only thing that was going to be accomplished is if I obeyed. Because he's wiser than I am. He knew what she needed. I didn't. And we have been best friends, too. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, know the power of God by picking up your cross and by building your life upon what Jesus says. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you, and God bless.